ask you to open your Bibles to John 17. Read verses 20 through 23. The main focus this morning will be a phrase in verse 22. Beginning in verse 20 of John 17. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected or completed in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you have loved me. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. <coughs> I want to read beginning in verse... 22 of Romans chapter 8. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he, eager, what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows that the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. I apologize, 1 Corinthians, I said 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 15.
going to read a section of this, and I want you to kind of think through some of these things. Let's just begin in, in verse 46. However, no, no, verse 45. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have been born the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Now as I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come this morning to hear from your word in a time of preaching, we give you thanks that we've been able to sing unto you and pray unto you and to glory in you through the reading of your word. We ask that those things be just as blessed as what we will now do in the hearing of your word preached. May the Spirit use all of these means of grace to our souls. Use the preacher for your glory alone. May the hearers hear and know by the power of your spirit, may the word of God be illumined to their souls that they would repent, believe, and those who are repenting believers would continue to repent and believe and glory in your truths and live those truths out. We pray these things in the name of your son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. In John chapter 17, verse 22, the Lord Jesus echoes a phrase from earlier in his prayer that we spent some time thinking through weeks ago. The glory which you have given me. This glory that the Father and the Son share that we spoke of in the context of the persons of the Trinity. The Lord Jesus now comes and says, The glory which you have given me, 
I have given to them. I have given to them. It's a small phrase in the prayer, but yet it should not be ignored. Before, as it comes to us, it gives us this identity or this idea of what is to come. What is not fully fulfilled, what is not complete in all of its essence, and yet there's something to come, and yet we have just a small, minute piece of it. There is in the believer some sense, some understanding of the glory of the Son shed through the work of the Spirit in the very soul of the repentant believer. And yet that small piece of that glory, whatever it may be, and to use the word peace is not even good, but it's the best our our minds and our, our vernacular can come up with. Or maybe I can come up with, maybe somebody else comes up with a better word, I don't know. But that small instance, that small little tidbit of our understanding about the glory of Christ shown through the believer. The Lord Jesus gives us just some essence of that, but also gives us a sense of more to come. In previous sections of the prayer, we've echoed the idea of that these disciples and believers, that the Lord Jesus would keep them, that they would be sanctified or sanctify them, set them apart, unify them. And here for a moment we can talk about glorify them. It's as one writer said, Whatever glory the incarnation, speaking of the Lord Jesus, and mediation is given, is given away. Here the Lord Jesus speaks of this glory that he would give it to them, the disciples, those who would be believers even in the future. John Owen just simply says, what he did for us is imputed unto us. Even that glory that he shares with the Father, there is some sense of that glory given to the life of the believer. And then also there is a future glory yet to come. It gives us a sense of the doctrine of glorification. When we think about glorification, we often think about the verses from Romans 8. All those who are justified, they will be glorified. This is kind of one of the the main places that we deal with the idea of glorification is from Romans 8. Maybe you could think about even kind of near approaches to it from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, especially when you get to verses 9 and 10 or so. Philippians chapter 3 can have the idea of glorification. Yet when you look up the idea of glorification or that being glorified in the whole of the scripture, most often you see the term glorified used in pointing to either God the Father or God the Son and on occasion to God the Holy Spirit. It's not often pointed at the believer. And yet here in John 17, 
we get some sense of the glory being given to them. It's in Romans chapter 8 that a little bit of a fuller sense is added and and brought to this great statement of faith to where uh, Paul gets to the end of it and it's almost as though he's, he's taking this big deep breath and he's out of breath and then he goes, well, who can be against God's elect if all that is true? What can come against us? Can peril or death or anything come against the believer if all that is true? And oftentimes we think about predestination and election and justification, which all of those are so important, and yet what's also in that list is they will be glorified. So here in the Lord's Prayer, we get just this one little phrase The glory which you have given me, I have given to them. It points us forward to something that the New Testament doesn't expound with great detail and exactness. But it does tell us some piece of it is there in our salvation. And it is yet to be fulfilled and one day it will be true and real And fully fulfilled. We have to be very careful when we look at the idea of glorification. We have to understand that oftentimes this is another place where sanctification is confused with something else. Glorification and sanctification are not the same thing. They are completely different. So what is glorification? If the Lord Jesus gives some idea here in the prayer that there's some glory given to these disciples and then the rest of the New Testament begins to fill in the idea that there's this great change as Paul calls it in 1 Corinthians 15. In a moment they will be changed is what he says. From this one thing to another. What is it? John Murray says glorification is the complete and final redemption of the whole person. When in the integrity of the body and the spirit, the people of God will be conformed to the image of the glorified redeemer. Are you and I? Completely glorified to the full image of our Redeemer, our Savior and Lord right now, here today? No. For if we were, things would look a lot different. That's why Murray says it is a complete and final redemption. He goes on, he says, when heaven's design will reach its grand finale... A perfect coincidence of glory. And later he says, a heavenly congruity. And as he rounds out a section, he says, the terminal phase of union with Christ. The terminal phase. Most of us don't ride subways, but if you've ever ridden a subway, you may have noted that there are certain little 
places that the subway will go that it will end. It is an absolute terminus. It gets to that place and it doesn't go any further. There's even been books and movies put forward about runaway subway trains and they bust through the one place and... Well, this is the idea of glorification. It is this final terminus for the believer. Something greater than we can imagine. Far beyond what even our words could know. So with this definition of glorification, we want to consider a few thoughts about it. Number one, glorification is not a corollary of death. Glorification is not a corollary of death. So often people look at glorification as though somehow it's correlated with death in a positive sense. But it's, as Spurgeon said, we are going to walk through the the shadow of death. Death is what we go through. But it is not the corollary of glorification. Murray puts it this way. He says, however glorious is the transformation of the people of God at death, this is not their glorification. Death is not the goal of the believer's hope and expectation. It is to dishonor Christ and to undermine the nature of the Christian hope, to substitute the blessedness upon which believers enter at death for the glory that is to be revealed. Sometimes people have this view of death as though they're just longing for death itself. But for the believer, that's not what we're longing for. We want to walk through the valley of the shadow of death that we would be taken by God's right hand, as the psalmist said in in chapter 73, and bringing us unto glory. That we would be changed. If you read down through history about the great warriors of the Greek and Roman age or even the great warriors of our day, they die honorably. Death is what they look to, that they would die honorable. The great warriors of the Viking age, and when you read of the poetry of the Viking age and the ideas of the the warrior dying honorably and being laid on this this great bed of wood and, and burned up, and sent out to the sea, and they all chant, they died honorably. For the believer, that's not the goal. To die honorably. It's that one would be in Christ, that they would be brought through the valley of the shadow of death, because death is awful. So we could say, in a sense, death is highly overrated. And one writer says, moreover, death is not glorious. That which is glorious is the glory which is to come. From the return of the Lord Jesus on that very day, when he raises those who are dead in him, Those who are alive, they're all brought together. We are not speaking of a rapture. We are speaking of souls. We are speaking of the context of the whole of the return of Christ. 
Glorification is not a, a corollary of death. Number two, glorification awaits the resurrection of the body. When Paul speaks of these things to the Thessalonians and he speaks of these things to the Corinthians, he's speaking very clearly about this resurrection of a physical body. But even in that resurrection of that physical body, the physical body that is there resurrected and put together back with the soul is not the glorified state. That resurrected body and that soul, they are to be changed that there will be a new glorified body. Some in Paul's day, as we read earlier, were doubting the idea of the resurrection. They doubted the idea of the resurrection of Christ. They doubted the idea of any resurrection of anyone at all. And Paul says, if you are believers, how could you doubt the resurrection? You people in Corinth, how could you doubt it? If you doubt the resurrection of Christ, then what hope is there for you? Without the resurrection of the body, there is no glorification. The actual resurrection of Christ is so important to all that we believe that apart from his resurrection, there is no hope for any believer. Paul makes this clear because there is something that is going to take place upon the return of Christ. And when he returns, those who will be brought up, raised up from the dead will be changed along with those who are still living. Thirdly, glorification is not a process, nor the end of a process, but a distinct and separate work of grace. Glorification is not a process, nor the end of a process, but a distinct and separate work of grace. In 1 Corinthians 15, when you get to those verses 50 and onward, you begin to see the word change used twice there in such a way that Paul is saying there is going to be a great difference. The change will be instantaneous, and it will be momentous. This is the kind of thing that is not the, the raised body will come up and it will be exactly in some way like it was before or it's just a little better. For those of you who are old enough to remember the uh, Lee Majors TV show, was it the $6 million man? Is that what it was? Yeah. I always I, I, I forget sometimes. Is it Million Dollar Man or $6 million man? Whatever he was, you know, and you remember the sound on the that sound he would make every time his body, he was made better, right? They engineered him and made him better, but he was still a man in that same exact way as he was before, only with some better inner workings. That's not what glorification is. It's a completely separate work of grace. Will there be a body? Yes. But this is better, far better than God just kind of neatly re-engineering our present state and making us a little better or even returning us to the garden that we might be like the Adam before. It's better than that. 
Fourthly, glorification is an event in which all the elect participate at once. Number four, glorification is an event in which all the elect participate at once. You get the sense from Romans 8 and 1 Corinthians 15 and, and even from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, this is something that happens all at once. This is the return of Christ coming and boom! I mean, there's a lot going on. Woo, woo. I mean, it just happens. And when it happens, glorification is for the elect. That's a tough thing to say, isn't it? We live in a world that says everything ought to be fair. Everybody ought to share with everybody else. Everybody ought to love everybody, 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 everybody. And everybody ought to everybody, 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 everybody. Everybody. And we look around, and is everybody, 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 everybody happening? No. Our world lives in wishful thinking, not understanding the realities of the doctrine of man and the doctrine of God. Men, women, children are sinners at conception. And unless God does a work, there's no hope for any of them. And this great glorification, this great change, momentous, this great work of grace that God will do is for the elect. All who have repented and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ alone to save them. It's interesting, too, that we get a picture in the Thessalonians that there's this great resurrection, and it's a great picture of all those being brought together. It's as John Stott said, it will not be a little private party for each individual. Glorification is going to be a work done in the church. The whole of Christ's body and people. And we must recognize, aside from Christ... No one has yet been glorified. We get a sense of Abraham holding those in his bosom, awaiting the great day of the Lord Jesus. The fullness of glorification has not happened. Even for Abraham and those in his bosom, they are in paradise, but they are not glorified. Murray puts it this way. He says, each saint of God who dies has his own appointed season and therefore his own time to depart and be with Christ. We can see that this event is highly individualized, but it is not so with glorification. One will not have advantage over another. All together will be glorified with Christ. I think when you read in the Thessalonians, you get a picture of this one-time event in purpose. There's not a rapture of believers and then a period of time where Satan rules over the earth and we're awaiting another return of Christ. 
No, there is one return of Christ. And when Christ returns in that second time, all will be set right. And all of God's people will be glorified. It will be a great momentous occasion for all of the elect. Fifthly, as one writer put it, glorification is a work of cosmic proportions. Glorification is a work of cosmic proportions. Turn with me over to Romans 8. 21, we'll turn back there just for a second. I want you to be able to see this. In verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This is why the creation is still yearning and waiting the very return of Christ. The creation in in some sense is a sign and symbol of what has taken place in the very souls of men. The creation itself is in downgrade. Although with all of its beauty showing the glory of God, it still has the mar of sin upon it, as does our flesh. But when Christ returns, not only will believers be brought up and be glorified at his return, but all of the cosmos will be set right. The cosmos will no longer be groaning, awaiting the return of Christ. Scientists studying the stars more than they ever have before, looking for all of the signs and symbols of a billions of billions of billions of years old earth and galaxy. And every time they turn a corner, there's always some evidence. They said before that a galaxy like ours could not form over a short period of time. They said it would take billions of years and that's the evidence because of the way that the stars form and bring forth light and go in and out and die. And now this Webb telescope has shown that there is a galaxy that has some similarities with ours that must have formed in a short period of time from the signatures of light that it gives off. Now I'm not going into all the detail. Some of the detail I don't even understand. But I'm amazed. I'm amazed that out of their own admission that this galaxy probably was formed in a short period of time, they still want to come out of that and say, but that didn't happen to our galaxy. There are galaxies we have probably yet to see and may never see and know of and all of them God ordered to be able to have the galaxy that we have and in all of the downgrade one day all of the cosmos will be reconciled every star will show the glory of God and the brightness 
that it had never shown before because of the return of Christ and the glorification of the believers. Number six. I don't remember where I read or saw this, but I saw it somewhere, and I just thought this was a good statement. Glorification is followed by nothing. Glorification is followed by nothing. There's a lot of things we're always waiting for. Even as believers, we're hoping that something else is next. But when Christ returns, Romans makes it clear that all those who are justified, they will be glorified. Period. Now, the period's not in the Greek, and I know that. Some of you will say, well, Pastor... If you read the Greek text, there's no punctuation there. That's true. But there's a reason they put the punctuation there in English. It starts a new line of thought, a new phrase to question. Well, if all this is true, then here's what we can say. When you get to the idea of being glorified, there's nothing after that. It's it. The complete fullness. We are still learning much on this earth about what it means to be in union with Christ. But John Murray says glorification is the terminal phase of union with Christ. There are many of us as believers, we want to be in union with Christ. That is our real, genuine desire. And in the substance of it, it is true and real through justification that we are in Christ Jesus. And yet with remaining flesh and the battle that goes on, there are times that we struggle and we say, ah, why is this happening? There is a day coming in glorification that union in Christ will be completed. This is why the final understanding of the kingdom of heaven can be a place where there is no sin and no tears. You do understand that one of the main proponents of sinfulness is us. And if we are not momentously changed, then anywhere we go, there will be sin. Even if God restored us, to like we were in the garden. There would still be the ability to sin. But glorification is so momentous that in glorification there is no ability to sin. There is only the ability to glorify God forever, to love his commandments forever. This is why we long for glorification that we would be in a state and in a place and we in and of ourselves would be so changed. Not only had we overcome death and the grave, where's your sting, O death? Yes, wonderful. But the reason we want the, the sting of death to be overcome is so that we would no longer sin against our Lord. The glorified state 
the believer will not even have one single iota in thought of sin. Can you imagine living and not even having a sinful thought? That's what it means to be made in the image of our Son, of our Savior and Lord, the Son. As one writer says, glorification is the final phase of the application of redemption. Indeed, it is the completion of the whole process of redemption. You want to know what it means to be redeemed? In its final state, it is to be glorified. To be so momentously changed that sin is no longer, not even a part of your flesh, body, character, soul, or spirit. It's not even a part of your, an inkling of your mind. Your eyes in your glorified body, whatever they are and whatever they will be, we do not exactly know, but whatever they are, when they see and what they see, they will not think in sinfulness. And more than that, in positivity, whatever it is they see and think, they will think and see in the glory of God. Well, that brings us to a caution. We don't really have the fullest analogy of the glorified state. It's not as though we can go to a text in the New Testament or even several texts and have the glorified state exactly in all of its detail written out to us. And yet, even in the language the scripture does give us, we know it is greatly different than who we are now. But it's also greatly different than who Adam and Eve were. One writer says, the Bible takes us to the point of glorification beyond which neither language nor intellect can at present safely proceed. I'm not sure that our language would fully convey what glorification really is. So we must stick with the evidence in its veiled language of what we receive from text and scripture. We get a word of glorified we get an idea of it coming after the resurrection of the body. We get an idea and an understanding of a great change in the difference. Even in our understanding of the kingdom of heaven, the reconciliation of the whole cosmos, a new heaven, a new earth. And in this new heaven and new earth, in the new Jerusalem, a place of no sin. But it does not tell us in exactness what our body, our glorified body, will be like. But we will live and move and have our being in a state in which we will no longer rebel and be an offense to a holy God. That's something to look forward to, isn't it? Well, I just want to leave you with a few thoughts. 
Glorification forms our whole assessment of grace. If we were just thinking on one level, we could say that salvation does not require glorification. We could be saved without it. Yet in another sense, glorification really forms our whole assessment of God's grace. Because what we're looking at is we're seeking and asking Will God complete a work in us where we could never sin against him again? And that is glorification. Number two, glorification reconciles and simplifies our sometimes confused end times agendas. Glorification reconciles and simplifies our sometimes confused end times times agendas much in time teaching and eschatological teaching today gets all of this detail and you got all these things and you got seven this and seven that and you got this period and that period and post-trib mid-trib after-trib when we trib trib a trib a trib a trib everything is this and that the other and we got all of it and we got our charts and it's all got a whole wall some churches got whole walls of just charts and charts and charts and you could walk every church member by all the charts and ask him, what does that mean? I don't know. They told us that's what it said, though. There's so much about the end times we don't know. doesn't mean we don't need to know some things. But the doctrine of glorification really reconciles and simplifies all of that confusion. Here's what we know without a shadow of a doubt. The Lord Jesus will return again. And when he does, those who are alive will be brought up before him. And those who are dead will be resurrected. And their souls will be put back with their physical bodies. And then in an instant, upon the judgment, they will be glorified. However many tribs there are and post and mid and all that, maybe we don't know all that. But here's some things we can know. Honestly, we need to be able to say glorification is the blessed hope. Glorification is the blessed hope. Number three, glorification awakens our esteem for Christ. Glorification awakens our esteem for Christ. When we are glorified, we'll finally, fully know what it means to glory in Christ alone. Do you know what it means to glory? We're commanded to glory in Christ alone. Do you and I fulfill that each day like we're supposed to? I don't. I'll just be honest, I don't. There's this thing in me, I want to. I really want to, but I don't. I say stuff and think things and I, I do stuff. I, I just shouldn't do it. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be a man who says something he shouldn't say or does something he shouldn't do. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a man who sins against God and brings him just... just brings him his name down. I don't want to do that, but I do it. 
And my only hope is there's a day coming when I won't do it anymore. And it's by God's work of grace in the glorified state. I really will bring glory to Christ one day. And it won't even be immediately after I die. One day, some of you will be around. I'll be dead. Y'all have some service or something. I don't know what y'all do. Y'all make throw a party. I don't know. But whatever, y'all have some service. I'll have my body in a casket. And somebody will be saying some nice things, probably a lot nicer things you need to say. Even at that moment, I won't be glorified. I'll be with the Lord Jesus, but I won't be glorified. I'll still be awaiting that day. My soul will be longing for it. My body will be in the ground rotting to the core. And my soul will be with the Lord Jesus. Awaiting the day that body and soul are put together. And then I would be glorified in him. Fourthly, glorification supplies our final ground of assurance. Glorification supplies our final ground of assurance. When you read Romans 8, 26 through 30, you're reading this chain of what one writer says is a chain of necessity. I believe it's John Calvin that says that. And you get to the end of the chain, and there it is, and they will be glorified. This is our final ground of assurance. Looking forward and hoping for the glorification of our body and soul that we would no longer rebel against our God and our Savior. One writer says, thinking of Romans 8.30, the tense in that last word is amazing. It is the most daring anticipation of faith that even the New Testament contains. To speak it. Justification is one thing of the certainty of it. And yet with glorification, it's to speak it as though it is that which will happen. And yet how can we know? It is the very essence of faith. To know and believe that one will not only be predestined or has been predestined that one would be justified and sanctified but one will be glorified made new in the fullest final sense I think we must say this morning there has to be a recognition all that we do not know of glorification should not keep us from the enjoyment of thinking about that future. And if we have just a moment to remember and think that glorification is better than the garden, be thankful and glory in Christ alone today according to these great riches and blessings that have been bestowed on us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you. You alone can take dead sinners and make them alive in your Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of your Spirit. And in the truth 
of that genuine knowledge and reality borne out by the work of your spirit and the souls of your people. We look forward in faith to a day where we will be glorified in union with Christ Jesus for eternity, eternity future. Even now as we're on this earth, looking forward, as we come to the time of the table, may this be a time where we see that Christ Jesus procured the whole of our salvation, including our justification, sanctification, and our glorification. All glory be unto you, the one true living God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.